0: Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Natalie Noisset. Natalie is a credit expert and a financial strategist. She is the author of a book simply titled Converted, Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Natalie. Thank you. How are you, Tony? I'm doing good. good. So glad you could join us today, and I, I kind of start every podcast with asking every guest the same thing because mm-hmm. uh, our listeners are curious where our guests live and work out of.
1: I live and work out of Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: Great. Great. It's beautiful, Charlotte. You know oh, you, yeah. you know, I've been there a few times.. Mm-hmm. You know what I remember about Charlotte?
1: What is it? Barbecue. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> lots of barbecue. Yeah. Um so I moved here during the pandemic and I was pregnant and so it gave myself an excuse to eat a lot of barbecue. Oh. Okay, lots of barbecue.
0: <laughs> so you're, yeah. you're you're fairly new to mm-hmm,
1: Yeah. Charlotte? Yeah, 2 years. Okay. And where did you live before that? Massachusetts.
0: Oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big change.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> so you you have spent the pandemic in North Carolina? Majority of it, yes. Okay, it was probably. I'm just guessing, but I'm I'm guessing that it was probably a better environment during a pandemic than Massachusetts was.
1: I mm-hmm. know that's a great guess for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I don't regret. I don't regret leaving.
0: Really, you love it?
1: I like it a lot. Yeah, I do. Um, I could see myself like living here long term. Really? Mm -hmm.
0: Fantastic. That's great. I like when people make big moves like that. Yeah, that's good. Well, as always, Natalie, we like to give our guests the opportunity to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you just give us the path that led up to what you are devoted to today.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I never set out to be on this path. This was not my calling. It's not like what I thought I was going to do or what I was going to be as a little girl. Just kind of happened by mistake. Um, I was 18 years old and I was in a situation where I had to begin life. I was thrown into the wilderness of, right? of the world. Oh yeah. And I went to go get my first vehicle. And that was when I came across my credit score for the first time because I was denied. And they told me that they cited my credit score as the reason why I couldn't leave the lot with the car. I had the money, you know, I was ready. I knew how to drive. I had all the other things that I thought I needed, but the credit score was just not there. Um, so I went. Hey, wait a second. The- you were,
0: you were paying cash for a car?
1: No, not cash, but I had oh. the de- down payment.
0: Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. You had enough for mm-hmm. down payment. Mm-hmm, okay. Right.
1: So everything was in order other than the credit score. So I went home and, you know, I went into a really deep, Hole into the internet of what credit was because I had no, I had not made contact with this credit thing before my score, before that experience. And then I had fixed my credit up to a point after doing that deep dive, learning what it was, learning where I had made my mistakes. And then a lot of my friends started asking me like, "Hey, how did you do this? What are you doing? Like, you know, how do we get into this? How do we fix figure this out?" And then one thing led to another, and. Referral after referral after referral, friend after family member after friend of a friend. And I retired corporate at 28 years old by turning this into a business.
0: Is that right? So, but you, you worked in the corporate world for, it sounds like about 10 years.
1: Just about, yeah, just about 10 years before I decided, you know what? I can turn, first of all, I was making more than I was making in my, my nine to five anyway. And I realized that my demand was so high for credit information consultations, um, helping with repairs or whatever the case may be that I might, my nine to five started suffering. I was almost never there really, or like I would spend nights up trying to, you know, get letters out and take calls. And I was just like, you know, it just, it didn't add up anymore. So I just, I left. Oh,
0: that's awesome. That's a great story. Mm -hmm. And would you describe it as it developed into a passion?
1: what actually developed into the passion was the financial strategy part and i think you'll understand this a little bit because you're you're also in the strategist space it's not really just about credit it's also about really understanding your needs your lifestyle and creating a plan around that mm-hmm. and being able to learn how to pivot learning how to um you know adapt and adjust where needed also like the options that are open up to people that people don't know about and the the light that goes off when they learn like Oh my gosh, I can get my credit card companies to pay me. I didn't know that, like, exactly. See, like that reaction right there, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> or for those who are listening, um, Tony had just like a wow, like kind of reaction on his yeah. face. And um, so that's an option a lot of people don't know about, or now how credit is evolving so much and find it, personal finances are evolved so much that people can get rewarded in crypto. Even if you don't really know a lot about it, this is a great entry into that world. So, The the strategist part of it and like watching how people transform their lives, learn to leverage their homes for wealth, learn to leverage their credit, learn to build a better financial relationship, eliminate thousands of dollars in interest. That became my passion because the gap is closing and I love seeing that gap close. It also watching my daughter grow up and not have to deal with a lot of the things that I did also really became a passion for me working with women and especially mothers, because a lot of them are suffering. A lot of people just don't know what the options are and building wealth for their children also is such a beautiful advantage to give them walking into life. So that's where the passions start coming in, like as life happened.
0: Great. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about the evolution or, you know, the passion building to the point where you wanted to express yourself in print with your book, Mm -hmm. Converted. How how did that come about?
1: Okay. Full disclosure. I, I got to a point where I felt like I was beating a dead horse. Credit was changing so much. It was evolving so much. I felt like I couldn't keep up. And I noticed that there's a big discrepancy in people really understanding the difference between the cost of something and the value of something. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was providing a service and people were looking at the cost and not really understanding the value. And I was like, you know what? This is something people can do by themselves anyway. Why not package it in a way where I capture everything I've done in the last 10 plus years and hand it to you and you can reference it whenever you want and if you just want to touch base with me as far as consulting then you can consult with me and then we could just move on from, build a relationship from there um and it worked out better that way because i wanted to start moving away from credit because i felt like i was saying the same thing over and over and over again and even though there's still huge gaps of information that people don't understand about credit mm-hmm people are a lot more aware at least of the importance of it. Right. And to be honest with you, I still, I still stand by the fact that yes, credit is changing. Yes. Credit is shifting, but we need to move on. Like we, we've been talking about credit. I've been talking about credit for over 12, 13 years now. Yeah. The the landscape is changing. We need to start worrying about more about leveraging our credit. So I want to, I've been on the road of transitioning more in that vein of like the conversations around leveraging your credit, building wealth, Um, setting up your children, um, really dissecting the mindset around money and the intersection between mindset and money. So Mm -hmm. that's what I've been like wanting to focus on more now because Mm -hmm. I noticed there's also a piece missing there as well. So just getting tired and then also understanding that the conversation needs to move forward.
0: Okay. And when did your book come out?
1: Last year, November.
0: Okay. Oh, timely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Emerging from the pandemic, I think that the need for financial understanding and a a solid financial strategy is more poignant than ever. There's people are just all over the place. I saw a statistic cited by uh, I think it was Money Magazine that 77 percent of the American public are having anxiety over personal finances. Yeah. Yeah and that was in March. So, you know, yeah. it's just, just last month.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so it's, that is the highest number I've ever seen. And Cause I study this stuff. I, there's all kinds of high numbers about mm-hmm. financial ex- anxiety, but that, that's the highest. And that told me something when I saw it, I went, Oh boy, this is um, the need for a, a solid financial strategy moving forward has never been higher. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm here's kind of a, Uh, left field question. What would you say, being credit expert, um, what would you say is the number one misunderstanding that people carry about credit?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think the number one mistake is thinking that credit really has to do with money at all. Actually, um, you know, we look at or we look at our credit score and we think that these three numbers are we identify too much with the three numbers when really, if you break down what credit is, it's risk and trust. That's it. Trust. Risk and trust. And I can, I can give you a plethora of reasons why that's true. But if you look at, for example, let's just, let's look at one. If you look at your credit score or you look at your credit report, and if I'm a lender, I'm going to look, I'm going to look at Tony's report and I'm going to see, Hey, all right, how much can I trust Tony because I'm giving him money, right? I'm exchanging, I'm exchanging a value with him. I need mm-hmm. to understand, can I trust him or not? Right. And based on that perceived trust, I'm going to assume my level of risk. Yep. Now the risk is assessed by setting that interest rate. The interest rate tells me, all right, the higher the risk, the higher the interest rate, right. the lower right. the risk, the lower the interest rate. Yeah. So those three numbers are going to tell me how much of a risk I'm taking and how much I can trust you. That's what it is. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. So if you can look at your credit score, your credit report as a lender would, you understand why you need to have good credit. I was just I would, I just got off of another interview and I was telling the gentleman like this is something that's going to follow you for the rest of your life. This is the perceived risk of the trust between you and this this institution Mm -hmm. is going to follow you forever. These three numbers are going to follow you forever. As long as you have a social security number, you will have to tie it to something, right? Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a matter of how much risk am I taking? And can I trust you with whatever it is that you're asking for? And then if I assess your finances, can you really manage this amount of money that you're asking for? Whether it be a home, whether it be a credit card um, increase request, whether it be... Um, a loan. It doesn't matter. Can you, can I trust you? And if I can trust you, if I think I can trust you, this is how much risk I'm willing to take with that money.
0: That's well said. Uh, And I can give you an example Uh, uh, just out of my recent life and experience was helping a person find a home to rent. Mm -hmm. All landlords that we talked to wanted to run a credit score. Yeah. And uh, here's, here's the thing, maybe you could clear this up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that goes directly to your point about risk and trust. Um, you know, they get, um, they also ask for pay stubs, the, the mm-hmm. most recent pay stubs. So they verify your ability to pay using those. Right. right. The credit score has nothing to do with your ability to pay. As far mm-hmm. as I can tell, it's really right. about trust. So... Landlords today are definitely falling in line with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a three digit number. It's a measure of trust and risk. Um, you know they're not going to adjust the rental rate because that's pretty yeah. stat, right. static. But they'll just deny you
1: and just, right. just
0: show you the door and you know go rent somewhere else is how that one works out.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, well, so. here's here's a here's a something that can jog your your thoughts. Right. What does driving have to do with credit? What does an accident have to do with credit, right? What does it have to? You would never think that there's a relationship or any intersection between the two. However, insurance companies are looking at your credit score to see whether or not you're more likely to get into a car accident. They have predict they have predictive tools that will determine whether you can whether you're more likely to get into an accident or not. That's wild. But it's there. And in the book, I outline a lot of other ways that, credit is looked at from your job to your relationship, to your your children, all the factors that that can impact you when you don't have good credit. We don't think about this, but yeah, I'm renting a a house or I'm renting an apartment. What what risk could that possibly be? Right. I have more than enough money to pay it, but they're looking. They want to know. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, well, it, part of this journey, helping helping someone find a, a rental home included a credit score Mm -hmm. something came up for me and maybe you can help explain this Um, there was a difference there there are different credit credit ratings and the the ones most people are familiar with are like transunion equifax Mm -hmm. but that's actually a different score than most actual lenders or like land in the landlord's case landlords look at they look at a completely different score that I'm not even sure what the name of it is. Do you know the the difference between these two?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I think this is the first time in years that I've had that question come up in an interview. So I'm glad that you know that. And I'm glad that you can pass that information on to your consumers as well. So what that is, is that every single institution that you have a relationship with sees a different version of your score. There are different models, scoring models. So for example, if you were to purchase a home versus purchase a car or, or rent an apartment, all of these people are seeing different pieces of information. They're all data points and they all see different things. Matter of fact, just as you mentioned, outside of the big three that we know, there are over 40 of them and they all pool a lot of different information it's all data, right? They all want to know different things about you. So one for, for an apartment, for example, and I don't know which one he picked up because it, it could be one or two that I can think of off the top of my head. But for the what he or she might have pulled or they might have pulled was something that gives information into your rental history, right? Okay. Um, they might be looking for past evictions. They might be looking for um any rent, any landlord complaints or any landlord um indiscretions that were being reported on your behalf regarding your finances, not like, oh, this person smoked in the house when they weren't supposed to, not that kind of thing. Yeah. It would be more like, okay, this this tenant did not have positive payment history with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side of it, they could also be looking at whether you have. Um, any other like judgments or anything opened against you regarding past apartments?
0: yeah, that's more like a background check, right?
1: Yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. so and and but but for sure, they're looking for those kind of details. But fortunately, for the consumer who doesn't have any of those things, there are ways to report your rent to your credit report so that that history can actually help you. Um, in the book I outline like several companies who actually report on your behalf. There's some like, Things that you have to consider. But for the most part, you can have your rental history put onto your report so that you can get the benefit of paying every single month and it helps boost your score. Wow. I'm yeah. okay. Learned something today. I did not yeah. know that.
0: And that'll be that'll be important for the this client that I'm helping find a house. Um now I've also been told this, and I and this is a point of ignorance for me. Um, okay, the big three, you, you know, TransUnion, Equifax and What's the third one? I can't remember. Experian. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. All their scores, in my experience, are pretty close to one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're within right. a few few points of one another, but a FICO score can be pretty different from those three. Do you know that do you know why and and how the FICO score is calculated versus the big three?
1: Yeah. So the FICO score is actually the metric that's used by the big three to determine the score. So to make that more simple, um, Experian uses FICO's metrics to populate the score. So they'll use whatever information or data points that FICO wants in order to, make, to align with what a proper credit score should be. And there are different metrics, right? So for example, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax don't use a Vantage score. They won't use like a score X score. Those are different metrics. They're different data points that will populate the actual score itself. Um, Now, the reason why Experian, TransUnion and Equifax might have different data points on them and why the scores might vary slightly is not because of the model that's being used, but because of the data points that are being um, presented on the actual report. So for example, if I'm Natalie corporate natalie corporation and you're a consumer i may if you have a relationship with me i may report your history with me on equifax and transunion but not experience so your experience score will have the discrepancy because if you paid on time and you have all that payment history or if you missed the payment, your Equifax and Transunion score will be lower, but your Experian wouldn't because I'm not reporting to Experian. I because see. these companies have to pay to report. If well, I'm the Natalie Corporation, oh absolutely. Yes. And I go uh-huh. and I go through this in the book because that's really important if you're going through a dispute. If these are these are people that are using systems to report your positive payment history or your um, or your revolving balance or whatever the case may be to these companies. They have to pay for that oh, to wow. Equifax, TransUnion, and um, Experian. No kidding. So that's why there might be a discrepancy because not all of them report to all three because it's expensive. It gets very costly.
0: So a FICO, FICO is another entity right. that collects um, credit data,
1: mm-hmm. but it informs the big three the big three use it to inform their financial decisions i see
0: i see mm-hmm.
1: but they could they could use okay so example here's a good example like if you were to go on experian.com they use the fico metric they use the fico algorithm okay. but if you go on credit karma they use the vantage oh, metric okay. so it's a met that so you'll see a big difference between your Experience score on Experian.com and mm-hmm. your, or matter of fact, you'll see a difference between your TransUnion score on experience.com because they're using the FICO metric versus if you were to go on Credit Karma and look at your TransUnion score because they're using the Vantage metric. The nice. difference is the price. That's why you can use Experian, that's why you can use Equifax. That's why you can use Credit Karma for free, but you can't use Experian.com for free because they pay to have that data pulled.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah. Ah, it's all starting to line up for me now. Good. <laughs> that's good. Now, I think one of the points you uh, you commonly teach, Natalie, is that uh credit repair can actually hurt you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I wonder if if you'd explain that a little bit.
1: Yeah. But so that's a surprise. Yes, for sure. Um, and it's mostly if you're doing like black hat type of hacks. Um, And then also if you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) So I don't want to talk too much about the black hat stuff, but if it sounds too good to be true, let's just say that if it sounds too good to be true, it more than likely is, okay? Okay, There's credit repair, credit restoration, credit rebuilding is not like a magic pill that you take and everything goes away and you're never responsible for any of the things that you've done in the past. It's a way to rebuild trust with institutions. That's what it's meant for. Um, But when I say that you can make mistakes, I'm talking more so about the things that you can do that actually harm you, that you don't know is harming you. For example, I've had this happen several times and I'm always just like, don't do this. Don't make those, don't make these decisions without calling me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) But um, I've had consumers who closed cards that were like 40 years old with like good payment history and these like cards were these cards had really low balances and they went and closed them and i'm like that was holding up your score you know cuz length oh, of history it yeah. accounts for about 10% of your score which is about 85 points and that's just you get that every single year two years three years that you just maintain your score over time right. and closing it dropped their utilization it dropped their history it dropped the length of history the average length of history um, so it was just, it was just, it, it hurt their score tremendously. Cause that, that's a good amount of history. That's like good meaty data that they just dropped. Cause they like, oh. I'm not using it. I'll just let it go. And I'm like, no, that's the one you keep.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had someone go, well, yeah, but that, that visa card or whatever, they charge me a hundred dollars a year and I'm not even using yeah. it. Or do you yeah. think it's worth a hundred dollars a year to maintain your score? Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that's a good value. Yeah. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Really interesting. I have a, this is a real life example. I have currently have some clients that unfortunately have run up quite a bit of credit card debt. They have a, they have a zillion of them. They have like, I don't know, eight credit cards, or yeah. eight, eight credit accounts, all with low balances. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, but they total to a pretty high number and they're, they're It's like the, the juggling act that you always know, hear, you know, they're, they're, they're paying minimums plus a little bit to keep all the balls in the air
1: yeah.
0: and, uh, and, and not getting in trouble anywhere. And they're doing a good job of it, mm-hmm. but they're interested in retiring some of that debt so that they should not close an account does a letter can you pause an
1: account without
0: getting dinged on your credit score
1: yes and no so when you say they're trying to retire something that they're they're paying it off as far as like trying to get their balances down to, right. close to zero what,
0: what they here's what they'd like to do and this is what they their uh presentation to me is Hey, can we just uh, can we just hit pause on all these accounts and then start paying them off one at a time, um, and not have our credit score crashed? And I gave them an answer, and I'm going to you to see if it was correct. <laughs> okay,
1: um, okay. So it depends on the company first and foremost, but mm-hmm. most of the time they will not pause it without cause. So like some hardship that is evident you can't pay, right? Mm-hmm. You just you just cannot manage this. The pandemic offered a lot of that. Like a lot of credit card companies were waiving late fees or they were waiving um, or they paused cards and you couldn't use them for X amount of time until you regained your financial footing. Um, but just because you want to try to get ahead of your finances, probably not. Um, What the better thing to do would be would be to create like an eliminating interest plan where you either depending on their financial situation, I would have to assess based on where they actually are. I'd have to look. But in general, what most consumers do is that and this is the only exception, only exception I make to closing a card. Mm-hmm. is to transfer their balances, assuming the balances are super high. And I I like that plan or that strategy for most people who are like 10,000 or plus over on credit card debt. Because mm-hmm. transferring your balance will allow you to have an introductory period on that card where it's zero interest for 12, 24, whatever the case may be, months. And you can create a repayment plan based on zero interest. And now you use that new card, but it will close the pre existing cards. Only exception. However, if not, then they can just create a plan on like Vertex 42 where they have like an, a debt eliminating interest. I've, I've done a training on it and I can send you the training if you want. Or actually, you can add it as a lead magnet for the podcast episode. Okay. Um, I walk through how to assign the costs like discretionary income to each card based on the interest rate of each card or loan or whatever the case may be. So it it populates a report and this is free. You don't have to pay for this. You don't have to pay anyone to do this for you. You can just plug in those numbers and it will shoot out a report that shows you how much you have to pay, when to pay that particular account until you get to zero. Now you have to set aside that money and you have to budget to some extent to know what your discretionary income is. But they'll tell you month to month put put 400 on this instead of the minimum 75, you know, or mm-hmm. put this X amount. It's kind of like the snowball method um, that's been popularized by Dave Ramsey, um, right. but you can do this online by yourself and you don't have to join his academy or, or pay me or anyone to do it. It's mm-hmm. free and it's easy to use. The training walks you through that. So you can save on that interest if you don't want to do the balance transfer.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a hot tip right there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Cause I, Okay. Here was, and I hope, hopefully you agree. I, I, okay. I just, I counseled them not, not to close anything um, and not to pause okay. anything. Good. Um, But that we'd come up with a, on our own, come up with a hierarchy mm-hmm. um, tackling, and this is probably close to the debt snowball Tack tackling yeah. the high interest accounts first, mm-hmm. Um, just, just paying the monthly minimums on the, the ones below the one that we're attacking. So, we, you know, if we come up with a hierarchy, the top one, we're gonna pick that one off first. Most of our discretionary income that uh, devoted to retiring debt will go mm-hmm. to that one. The uh, the rest of them will get mini- monthly minimums until we get to them. It's yeah. just pick our way down the list. Yeah. Is that is that essentially what, what Vertex does?
1: yeah so if i'll I'll send you all the info information for it, but that's essentially what the training is. It just it puts your debt from highest to lowest as far as like interest or balance or it it it's a it's a computer system. It's an excel sheet that's like designed and formatted for that okay so it will it will do exactly just that.
0: oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's a tool you can use right there yes, right there. Yeah. Very nice. Well, Natalie, I'd like to give uh, you the opportunity to tell our folks how best to, A, get a copy of your book, mm-hmm. and, and B, how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to.
1: Yeah, of course. So um, you can find the book on convertedcredit.com. That's converted credit.com converted credit.com exactly how you hear it sound it's not like some special spelling or anything like that um the there's a hardcover there's a soft cover and there's also an ebook as well for those who like different formats um of the book and then um that's just the best place to find it because that's also the best way to keep in touch with me because we do if you buy the book online then we do free trainings all the time like like the one for Vertex 42 with the in, Interest Eliminator, excuse me. Um, So if you're interested in that, you can definitely join our mailing list automatically and we send out free resources all the time about budgeting, about um, investing. We have private trainings that happen with like financial advisors, tax professionals that go out only to our mailing list. So that's where you'll get the most value versus buying it on like Amazon or um, or Barnes and Nobles or anything else. So that's also the best way to keep in touch with me. So that's convertedcredit.com.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Natalie. And sure. I appreciate you being here today. I love getting some tools you can use. I know our listeners do too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to sign off awesome. with the strategist we call our audience. <laughs> um, so until next time, strategists keep on strategizing.